No, the only way we can leave an inheritance to our children's children is by teaching them, teaching them to manage whatever they've been given well, teaching them to be responsible with every gift from God, teaching them to see their neighbor's need as their need, to love as Christ has loved us. And so when it comes to money, when we seek to leave an inheritance, we seek to pave the way for our children and our children's children and their children. We seek to pave the way for them to go into this world driven by money, to love and serve their neighbor always. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning, church. As I come to you this morning as we gather to hear God's Word, uh, there's some very real heaviness that we need to talk about. This week has not been an easy week for our country and for many of our brothers and sisters around this country. This week, with the death of George Floyd, there has been a lot of pain and hurt that has been shared and expressed in a variety of ways. And I need to take a moment to tell you that we as believers are called to weep and mourn with those who mourn. We're called to be there in the face of injustice, whether that injustice occurs at the hand of, of police officers or whether that injustice occurs at the hands of angry rioters, we're called to be there to weep and mourn and love. And so here in a moment, we as a church are going to do confession and absolution. We're going to come before God and confess our part, our sinful nature that contributes to this broken world. But before that, will you join me in praying for this country and these people who are hurting so dearly? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Minneapolis, on behalf of our brothers and sisters of color who have felt this great oppression and injustice for quite a long time. God, on behalf of the police officers who are called to protect and serve, God, we come before you on, on behalf of the leaders of this country called to help us navigate these murky waters. Lord, let justice be done. Bring hope and healing. Bring peace and comfort. Let us be a people who seek not to point fingers, but to stand and support and love. Let us weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Let us be a people, God, through whom this world sees healing and reconciliation and hope for something different. God, I pray that you would help us to have healthy conversations about your word, 
about how you came to the midst and to, to be in this place that was broken and divided and you came to bring us together, to unite us, help us to be a people who seek unity. And God, I pray that we as a church in this city and all across this country would rise up and say, this is not okay. We will stand for justice for all people. And God, I pray that you will teach us to love more than we've ever known how. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, like I said, we are going to come before God together in confession and absolution. This is something the church has done for a couple thousand years. Whenever they've gathered, they've recognized we are gathering for one central purpose. You and I, we together are broken, sinful people. And broken, sinful people do not love the way they're supposed to love. We do not serve the way God created us to serve. Broken, sinful people hurt other people. And so we as a church, every time we gather in some way or another, we confess to God that we are desperately in need of His help to not only forgive us, but to change us, to renew us, that we can live as His children. So Tyler's going to put up on the screen this confession and absolution. Will you join me in this prayer and make these words your words as well? Here we go. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Church, there's this promise in Scripture that whenever we gather, however we gather, we gather not to give God something He needs, not to give God our, our money or our time, not to do anything for Him, but we gather as beggars desperately in need of a little bit of bread, beggars desperately in need of what God alone has to give. And so we confess our sins to Him, and He has promised that He is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins. So hear these words today directly for you. As a called and ordained servant of Christ by His power on His behalf, I forgive you today all of your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. What good news that every time we come to Him and we confess our sins, He will always forgive us. No matter how far we've gone, no matter where we've been, no matter where we are, He will always forgive us. Amen. Today we are finishing up this series, Where Do We Go From Here? We have spent the last two and a half months in some kind of quarantine, some kind of pandemic lifestyle. Where do we go from here? As we move forward, not only as individuals and as a community, as a church, but as a nation, as we move forward, what's next? What does life after pandemic look like? 
and over the last couple of weeks we've examined a few things that have really risen to the surface during this pandemic. The first is that we need relationships. We were not created to be alone. We need one another. And through this time of, of safer at home and quarantine, we've realized how sweet it is to be together, to cherish the people we love most, to spend time intentionally with those we care about. This is something we have to cling to going forward. In addition to our relationships, one of the things that has risen to the surface through this time is our desperate need for God. We need this relationship with others, but also with Jesus. And we can no longer depend on just our Sunday morning gathering to connect us with Jesus. No, we need to depend on His Word and His Spirit each and every day in our prayer, in our study, in our time with Him. We need to connect and experience His grace today and tomorrow and the next day for you and for me. Not only do we need to focus on our relationships and our time with God, you and I need to slow down. For some of us, this season has been extra busy, working twice as hard just to stay above water. But for others, it's been incredibly slow. Our kids' activities are canceled and our kids are driving us nuts. We're working from home and realizing just how much we love our spouse or just how broken our relationship with our spouse really is. This time at home has given us opportunity to slow down. And it's something we need to intentionally continue to do going forward. If we reopen and go back to life as it was before, I believe this whole time would have been wasted. See, this time was not an opportunity just to pause and wait, but actually to pause and reflect and to say, what needs to change? And that leads me to this last thing that I think we need to do different going forward. If there's any one thing that has maybe become super clear during this time, it's something that I've known but not really been comfortable thinking about. And it's this. Our world is driven by money. Wow. Does that sting a little bit? The truth that you and I live in is our world is entirely shaped and formed by money, by the pursuit of money, by the people with money, by those who are generous in giving their money to others. Money changes you and me. And we know this to be true. How often have you chosen where you live based on what you can afford? Maybe when you were first starting out, you lived in a neighborhood that was less than your dream, but it's what you could afford. Maybe you chose a job or a series of jobs, a career path, because of the money they could bring you or because you knew to get to the life you wanted to have, the job you previously had wasn't going to get you there. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that money shapes the way we think and in turn the way we feel. But what do you and I as Christians do with that money to make sure that the way in which we chase or pursue or receive or spend money actually propels us closer to God as opposed to further. Before we get into that a little bit more, I want to share with you from Ecclesiastes. This is where we were last week. 
And if you remember, Ecclesiastes is this book written by King Solomon, who was not only the wisest man ever, he was among the wealthiest, perhaps the wealthiest man ever in the history of the world. Solomon had money coming out of his ears, money upon money like you would not believe. And after a long life, which towards the end of it, he turned quite a bit away from God. His relationships suffered. His, his experience and knowledge of God's love suffered. His life suffered as a result of many of these pursuits he had given himself to. And Ecclesiastes is him reflecting on all of these pursuits and sharing the wisdom he's learned. In chapter 5, he talks about wealth and money. This is what he says, chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. If you see a, in a providence the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at that matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He starts out this discussion about money. He says, if you see oppression and you see the, the poor being um, treated unjustly, don't be surprised. It sounds kind of like the words Jesus says later, the poor will always be among you. The truth is, as long as money shapes this world, there will be those who have and those who don't. And oftentimes, the way we become those who have or those who don't is very similar. But we'll get to that. He says, look, this is good for a land, a king committed to cultivated fields. If we have a king committed to seeing the land prosper, if we have a leader committed to seeing people grow, it will be good for the land. But then he continues, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. For many of us, this Sounds like an obvious thing. Well, of course, those people, other people with great money, of course they're not satisfied. They're greedy and they're selfish and they just want more. You ever thought that way? We, as a culture, uh, really villainize business people. On the one hand, the American spirit says, start your own business, do it for yourself, build yourself into an empire, become wealthy. And on the other hand, we say, but anyone who does must be immoral, must be bad, must be unhealthy for the people around them. We like to blame the 1% and say all of our problems are because they have what we should have. But how often do we stop and think, how did they get there? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This warning is not he who has money, but he who loves it. If your goal in life is to become wealthy, if your goal in life is to have a greater income, a bigger house, more possessions, better stuff, if that is your aim, you will never reach the peak. There will always be somebody else with more or better or different, and it'll leave you empty. Then he continues, this, or when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. He says, the one who works hard and toils diligently, the one who labors for his wealth, how sweet it is when he sleeps. Have you ever had a day like that? 
maybe you were mowing the lawn or building a swing set for your kids or doing something hard and exhausting and at the end of a long hard day you have a good solid meal and a nice cold beverage and you sleep and that's it and life is just wonderful but how sleepless are the nights of those who are pursuing wealth who are loving wealth who are desiring wealth ahead of anything else maybe you've been there unfortunately far too many families are destroyed when a loved one passes away and whether they leave a little bit or a lot that tiny little bit of potential money begins to drive wedges in families maybe you've never received any kind of inheritance but you certainly know what it's like when your kids come asking for more things that you wish you could provide for them but you don't know how you lose a little bit of money when the stock market goes down and you suddenly begin to worry and be filled with this anxiety. What if I can't provide for my future, for my children, for my family? Have you ever felt that anxiety of not having enough? He says here that those who, who love wealth, no matter how full their stomach is, they'll always feel this pit, this worry, this fear. What if? This isn't enough. Then he goes on. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much, much vexation and sickness and anger. See, the truth is, you and I, no matter how much we earn or make or no matter what life we live, we will both end in the same place. You and I, at some point, will be buried in the ground. Now, maybe you'll be cremated and so your ashes will be in a jar. I think you should be buried. Just a side note. Let's bury each other, okay? But you and I will eventually end up dead. And no matter how much we accumulate in this life, somebody else will reap the benefit of the work that we do. Somebody else will experience the wealth that we accumulate or that we don't accumulate. He continues, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils. Whether you're working to have lots more or working just to have enough, however you're working, whatever your toil, be satisfied, be content, find joy in the moment and not fear of the future. He continues, Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. See, the secret to life in this world driven by money, in this world that is moved and makes decisions based on how much money will be impacted in this world, the secret is this. If you have wealth and you have possessions and you've been given the power to enjoy them and be at peace, this is a true gift of God. 
See, God doesn't ask you and me to live with nothing and be miserable. But he also doesn't tell us that we'll be better if we have more. So whatever you have, however much he's given, be content. A couple years ago, I was given a book by a friend. It's a book written by a Jewish rabbi called Thou Shall Prosper. And it was really an interesting read because this rabbi was talking about the, the historic reality that Jewish people typically prosper financially. In fact, if you look at Forbes 400 list, the 400 wealthiest people in the world, if you look at this list of people, uh, especially in America, here's a really crazy fact. Out of the 400 wealthiest Americans, all of whom have at least $1.1 billion in assets, over 30% of those people are Jewish. How is it that less than 2% of the population is over 30% of the wealthiest people. In this book, the rabbi was spelling out that the reason he believes uh, Jewish people typically prosper financially is not because they cheat and they steal, as some have said in the past. It's not because they have wrong motives or, or, or poor ambitions. No, the reason they prosper is not even because God has blessed them and given them favor. In this book, he spells out 10 reasons why they prosper, and it's attitudes that they hold, that they find in the Old Testament, things that they cling to, that actually any one of us can cling to and begin to prosper. He talks about uh, attitudes like uh, seeing the value in connecting with other people. And the more you connect with other people, the more opportunity you have to build wealth. He talks about things like seeing the value in generous giving. When you give generously, there's this principle in creation that generous giving opens your hands up to also generous receiving. He talks about principles about valuing what you learn more than what you accomplish. So if you learned something, even if you got an F or you didn't succeed, it was still of great value. He says these things contribute to Jewish people prospering. And in the book, he's advocating for what you and I as non-Jewish people can do to find ourselves financially prospering. And this is the part of the sermon where some people get really uncomfortable. See, there are preachers out there, there are pastors out there who want to take the Bible and turn it and twist it into a get-rich-quick scheme. They're, they're, they want to take God's word and say, if only you do this, this, and this, God guarantees you will have more than you could ever imagine. This is not the promise of scripture. In fact, there are many faithful people who love God dearly, who do the right things, and they find themselves broke. And that's okay. At the same time, there's a lot that the Bible has to say about what we do with our money. And there's a lot the Bible says that should be common sense, but is less than common. Now, here's what I mean by this. I'm just going to share with you a, a few statistics, a few things that maybe you don't know or maybe you do. Americans are broke. We may be the wealthiest country in the world. We may have the most money of any country, and yet we are broke people. In fact, 59% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 59%. Nearly six out of every 10. And when 21 million Americans are unemployed, 
40 million Americans, whatever that number is now, when, when one quarter of Americans lose their job because of a pandemic, even if temporarily, what do we do? If you and I are living paycheck to paycheck, you know what this means? It means we are only one pay period away from being desperately in need of our neighbor to love us and provide for us and care for us. We are only one paycheck away from being in a place of a lot of pain and hurt. And when we're in that place of pain and hurt, it's really difficult to see our neighbor's need and fulfill it. It's really difficult to see our neighbor who is hurting and be able to love them because though we want to, we don't have the means to sometimes. During this pandemic, there are a lot of people who are financially struggling. Now, they might not be feeling that effect just yet. Maybe you're in that place you temporarily lost your job and thankfully unemployment has been increased where you're making it right now. Thankfully, your rent or your mortgage have been deferred where you're making it right now. But what happens when you have to pay that deferred mortgage? Or when that unemployment in July runs out and you don't yet have your job back? What happens when you go back to work but your boss is finding that the business is less than thriving because fewer people are going out and shopping? What happens then? See, for you and for me, we have an opportunity before us to recognize that the money we receive gives us opportunities to change the world around us. The money we have, whether it's a lot or a little, gives us an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of others. And I don't just mean giving it generously. You see, when we aren't living paycheck to paycheck, we can be prepared in times of trouble to lose our job and be okay. We can be prepared for that rainy day, that unexpected day, to not be desperate for somebody else to help us have food, but to maybe buy food for our neighbor or to do something else to love and care for them. Uh, another uncomfortable statistic, 21% of Americans save $0 a year. 21% of us don't save a single penny for future planning every year. What this means is there's quite a few of us who don't have a clue what the future will hold. And this pandemic has shown us that at any moment in time, this world driven by money for reasons we don't understand could come crashing down. Are you prepared for that? Probably not. Because most of us, most Americans aren't. And it's not just that they're not prepared for that rainy day. Uh, Americans largely have not thought about their future retirement. Now, some of us see retirement as an opportunity to stop working and to vacation and to party all the time. And if that's your view of retirement, I hope that works for you. I see retirement, and I think Scripture sees retirement as something so much more fulfilling. We get to stop pursuing building wealth, and we get to use our wealth not only for our joy, but to bless the people we love to take our families on vacation, to help our children grow in their financial stability, to prepare for our grandchildren to go to college, we get to use our retirement to spend our time serving our neighbor instead of needing to go to work. But you know what? Less than, or over 33% of Americans 
have a total of less than $5,000 each planned for future spending. Less than $5,000 in, in retirement. That means 33% of Americans anticipate that this government known for spending money wisely, this government known for spending money frugally, will still have money available to help provide for you in your old age. Does that make you uncomfortable? It certainly makes me uncomfortable. In Proverbs, there's some promises about how you and I can manage our money for the betterment of others. The first one comes from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. And here's this. Money will not make your problems go away. Money will not make you more happy or more peaceful or more whatever you want to fill the blank in with. Money will make you more of whatever you already are. In fact, when most people win the lottery, within two years, they're bankrupt. Look at the number of professional athletes who make millions of dollars and only a few short years after their career is over, once again, bankrupt. Money will only make you more of what's already in your heart. If you're an angry person, money's going to make you more angry, more afraid of the people who might try and steal it. If you're a kind-hearted, peaceful person, money's only going to give you more opportunity to say, I don't need to worry and stress. It'll be okay. I have this savings built up that should a rainy day happen or a pandemic shut things down, I'm prepared to not only care for my family, but my neighbor as well. In Proverbs 13, 11, it, it warns against this get-rich-quick scheme that some of us buy into. It says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. See, there's a natural law in this world that when you and I set aside a little bit at a time and we choose to make decisions that are wise little by little, no, we're not going to be wildly wealthy overnight, probably. If you are, congratulations. Most of us never will be. Most of us will probably never be wildly wealthy. But whether you make just a few dollars a year or you make a few billion a year, if you set it aside little by little over time, eventually you will have more than enough. More than enough to live the way you have been living or maybe even better. More than enough to love the way you have been loving or maybe even more, more than enough for what the future holds. Little by little. A few verses later in verse 22, it gives this, uh, for me, really challenging uh, promise. Not so much promise as it is piece of wisdom. It says this, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Echoing those pains of Ecclesiastes, look, there's a lot of sinful people, a lot of people who have no understanding of what to do with their wealth, and it's just going to be squandered, and it's going to go to someone else. But a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I look at money and I think scripture looks at money in such a way that says there is value in preparing for the future in living in such a way that I want my kids to be better off than me. And more than that, my grandchildren to be better off than me. Not because I want my kid to have more toys and cooler things or bigger houses. I don't care about any of that. But I do care about this. Wouldn't it be really incredible if your grandchildren 
could go to school and learn a trade, could become a plumber, or maybe not a plumber, maybe they could become a doctor or a teacher or a mechanic. They could become whatever they want and not need to go into debt for it. And wouldn't it be really cool if you taught them how to walk with God, that whatever they go on to do, they can do so with God, with an attitude that's looking out saying, how can I love and serve my neighbor? See, when a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, it's not just saying a good man prepares to financially bless his kids. No, the only way we can leave an inheritance to our children's children is by teaching them, teaching them to manage whatever they've been given well, teaching them to be responsible with every gift from God, teaching them to see their neighbor's need as their need, to love as Christ has loved us. And so when it comes to money, when we seek to leave an inheritance, we seek to pave the way for our children and our children's children and their children We seek to pave the way for them to go into this world driven by money to love and serve their neighbor always. But when you and I are paycheck to paycheck, when we live with no savings, when we spend more than we have and we are consumed by materialism and debt, it's really hard to prepare our children to go and serve God in whatever way he calls them to go out and make a difference in this community. But wouldn't it be incredible if we took care of our money and managed our finances in such a way that the next time some life-changing rainy day pandemic event happens, we're ready and we can make a difference and serve that our children aren't burdened with the fear of now what? Or what's next? But they'll know it'll be okay. Now, this is the part where some of you may say, this is all good and great, but where's Jesus in all of this? So let me make it really clear. Jesus does not promise to make you wealthy. Jesus doesn't care about your wealth. He cares about you, and your wealth or lack of wealth can change the way you experience him. If you have wealth gained from ill-gotten gains, if you have wealth gained from selfishness and sinfulness, you will see Jesus differently than if you have wealth, wealth gained from a desire to love your neighbor and care for your neighbor. And if you have no wealth at all, if you squander it frivolously, if you spend it on whatever happens to be right in front of you, it will be difficult to serve your neighbor in their times of need. In fact, you may be relying on them instead of able to care for them. So where is Jesus in this conversation of money? Jesus is enough for you and I that we find our hope and our identity not in our wealth, but in him. And his death and his resurrection frees us from working for the weekend. And now we can work for a purpose greater than that, to change the world one life at a time with our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our friends and the people in need that we encounter. So where are you with your finances today? Has this pandemic made you realize just how tough it is to get through every day, paycheck to paycheck? Maybe today's the day to stop and say, I'm going to create a budget. I'm going to plan for what I'm spending my money on that I can choose to spend it on the right things and prepare for a different kind of future. 
Maybe today is the day to say, I need to start getting rid of some of this burdensome debt. I need to pay some of it down and prepare to have less expenses that I have more opportunity to make a difference. Or maybe you need to find a financial planner or coach who can help you take steps to prepare for retirement or prepare for your grandchildren's future. Maybe you need to find someone who can help you grow. And this is what I want to encourage you with. Maybe you don't know where to start. This is why we as a church offer on a regular basis Financial Peace University, an opportunity to explore our money and explore scripture and say, how do we manage this well that we can be prepared for whatever comes next and we can love our neighbor in all circumstances? Right now, Dave Ramsey is offering this class and this material available for free for a 14-day trial. You have to pay nothing to get it. It's available online. I'm going to ask Emily to post that link in the comments so you can, if you're interested, you can sign up and get some of this great wisdom about how to manage money well for free. If you'd like to take that class in person with others, we're going to be offering it twice more this year. We don't have dates set just yet as we're waiting until we can regather, but I'll let you know as soon as they come up. And when we offer that class in person, there's a 100% rebate that you get all of your money back if you complete the class. Because we're not trying to make money from you. We want to help you learn how to manage money in such a way that whatever happens in the future, you're ready for it. Whatever you need to do next, know this. Our money is a tool to bless our neighbor and our children and our grandchildren, or it is a tool that chains us down and holds us back. This is my hope and my prayer for you. Behold, I have seen what uh, to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. It is my hope and my prayer that whatever your lot, whether you have much or you have little, today would be the day you begin to find joy in God and see that he is enough and he's provided opportunity to change your circumstance and change the future. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we confess that money is sometimes uncomfortable. We sometimes don't spend it wisely. We don't use it uh, realistically. We don't plan for a future thinking today will be enough. But God, we know that your word is filled with reminders to think of what's ahead, not for selfish intent, but for opportunities to bless our neighbors. Through this pandemic, for those of us who've been laid off, who've been without income, who've been thankful and needing of the support and assistance our government's provided, God, we pray that you would help them to find peace and joy in all of your provision. And we ask that as people return to work and their incomes return to normal, you would help each one of us manage well everything you've given. Whether you've given lots or little, may we manage it in such a way that we are ready for a different kind of future a future centered in your grace, a future centered in our identity, not in the number of zeros, but in who you are, that you've canceled our debt and made us free. God, we pray that we as a people who are centered in your word would manage our money in such a way that we can love our neighbors and care for those who are hurting and support those who are in need and make a difference in this world. 
ultimately that people would be connected to you and your grace and your kindness and your forgiveness. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we continue our worship, we are going to collect an offering. And this is not something I expect any one of you have to do. We don't give because God makes us or God demands it from us. We give because God has first given to us. He has forgiven us all of our sin and invited us to trust him in all areas of life, including our finances. If you are prepared to give today, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking on the little blue button in the bottom corner. You can give via cash or check in the mail with our P.O. box or directly in a region's drive-thru. Uh, however you choose to give today, your gift of any size is partnering with God in loving our neighbor and making a difference in our community. Thank you, church, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. So we didn't get any questions that were texted in today, but I did receive a text message that I think is worth sharing with you. I received a text message from somebody uh, this morning that said, you know, life has been really hard lately. We've talked about how difficult and how hard and how challenging this season has been. Let me tell you about my morning. I screamed at the kids. We got in a big fight. So the kids watched church in the basement on the TV and I watched in the bedroom and I cried. This is how some people are doing church right now. I share that with you today because I know that this season has been really difficult. For some of us, it's been difficult financially. For some of us, it's been difficult emotionally. For some of us, it's been our family that we've just had enough of. And for some of us, even our littlest kid, or ones, it's been really difficult because things are different and they don't know what to do about it. However you're doing church, whether it's crying in your bedroom or watching in your basement, whatever you're doing, uh, you join us today. Thank you for joining us. And I want you to know that even as we're online, we fully believe, come as you are. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be a mess, to have yelled at your children this morning. It's okay to not know what the future holds and say, I am scared and hurting. That's okay. We love you dearly. You are not alone. Thank you for being a part of this family. Please come on out next week, even if your kids are a total hot mess. Join us next week for the drive-in church. I want to see you face to face. I want to smile and say hello and talk and wave. And I want you to know in this season, you're not alone. And if you want to invite friends or neighbors, bring them out too. I think it's going to be a really great opportunity to be reminded that our God is bigger than our mess. He's bigger than our situation. He's bigger even from than situations that we literally have no control over. He is enough in all things. So receive this blessing today, church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Love you, church. See you later. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. 
Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.